Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where another Lakers media day has come and gone. And somehow, to our chagrin, Russell Westbrook was somehow part of another one. But you know what? This is the bed the front office has made. Russell Westbrook is still a Laker. These dudes are the guys who are going to be donning the purple and gold to start this season. And so, we'll give it our all, take things day by day and start building from where we're at, brick by brick. (laughs) No. (laughs) There's no pun intended there. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, are you all in on this season? I'm all in. You're not just saying that because I gifted you a free purple iPhone 14 Pro, are you? You did? It's <laughs> <laughs> no. like, shit, I gotta go check my mail. Can we pause this? <laughs> no, I did. Just like LeBron James gifted everybody at his mini training camp in San Diego that new free purple iPhone 14 Pro. But anyways, the Lakers are back. 360. We literally did a 360 spin back to the same spot with our big three. So here we are. Uh, I think we were all hoping for a 180. 180 turn, but that didn't end up happening, at least not yet. Before we get into our media day impressions and how we think this whole Rust thing is going to work again, please take a moment out of your day to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app, or head on over to your Spotify app, search out our page, and click the five-star button at the top of our page instead. We are currently at 44, 45 stars, and we are trying to hit 50 Spotify five stars this week during training camp, so if you guys could help us out in that venture... Dwayne Bacon would really appreciate it for some reason. The bacon and ham combo this preseason is going to be absolutely fire. All right, Tommy, what? Let's get to our general vibes and observations of this media day. Um, yeah, how did you feel about it? I, I, you know, personally for me, I was coming into it. You know, you typically project how you're feeling onto any sort of media day, and I am going to admit that I got my my updated booster shot yesterday and it is absolutely kicking my butt. So as I was already feeling pretty lethargic and fatigued and I don't know if that sort of clouded my perception of this media day, but all I can say is the Lakers media day didn't really help put a pep in my step or uh, liven up my spirits. But yeah, in general, what were your, what was your general vibe check of how this particular Lakers day went? My overall vibe 
is I thought it was sort of one of the more, how should I say this? I thought it was one of the more sedated media mm-hmm. days that I've seen in, in recent years. And I'm even going back to like the, you know, rebuilding Julius Randall, Lonzo Ball, you know, those, those years. Um, Ryan Kelly. Ryan Kelly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, there are the guys who stood out. You kind of expected to stand out, which I don't, you know, we'll probably get into a little bit more of the individual players here, but, um, as we go on, but the overall tone just felt sort of weak to me. And I, I think that in like, you know, the main way that, that I, or sorry, I guess I should say the main reason I feel that way is because there were a few guys and I think like Rob Palenka and Russ were the two I was most interested in hearing from today. And there are ways to like, get your act together and get your story straight before you all have to go out as like a unified team and address the media, like on the first day of the season, really before training camp. Um, and there was plenty of time for these guys to do that and come up with a cohesive message about how they're approaching the season. And it just felt like petty theater. I mean, on like all sides, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It was like, Russ didn't want Russ said he's willing to do whatever it takes to win, but he won't like fully admit to saying like, yeah, if what it takes to win is me coming off the bench, then I will do that. You know, he like, you know, Rob saying we're going to do whatever it takes to build a contender about LeBron around LeBron. And that includes using the picks, but, you know, ignoring that there were some proposals that were sort of floating around there over the off season that many feel reasonably would you know, give LeBron a chance to be there at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. Particularly since it's like, yeah, you have him for three more years, but like that doesn't mean this guy is going to be like what he was last year for the next three years. I mean, every year he is taking a slight dip, right? So he's been able to beat father time um, for this long. And you just never know when your luck is going to run out on that end. So anyway, it, it all just felt like a lot of, you know, team speak, coach speak, from ham, you know, and, and that's all fine. What I only care about is like what it looks like on the court um, yeah. and whether they put their money where their mouth is and whether they actually follow through on these statements, because, you know, you could always say the statements are just statements. And even if Russ said like, I'll, I'll sit on the bench if that means we're winning games, like, you know, that doesn't mean anything, but that's step one. And it was sort of a murky and sort of unclear whether they even achieved step one. And I guess step two is like, actually seeing if something changes from a result of these words, because in the past, nothing has. Yeah, and we'll get into our thoughts on what Russ said, because I think the delivery is important, which you alluded to. I mean, you can look at the text when you see it come up on Twitter, but when you actually see how he responded to some of these questions, it does fall in line with what she said about the overall theme of the day. For me, it was, I I wrote down subdued and diplomatic. Um, And I think the one thing that was missing, you saw it from particular players, namely Patrick Beverly, who was a breath of fresh air. And, you know, we'll talk about Pat Bevan a little bit. But it didn't feel like the players had that sort of, it's a new day, reinvigorized sort of oomph in their spirits, right? Mm -hmm. And the phrase championship or bust wasn't really a thing this time. It was more about dudes having, I think the theme was, chips on their shoulders, right? And I mean, and that's a good thing, I guess. And But it just seemed like everybody kept talking about, instead of a championship, championship, they were talking about, I have a chip on my shoulder and trying to work from there. And it almost seemed like the Lakers players, and I know I'm reading into this, but 
it seemed like all the Lakers players were, were as bogged down as we were as fans from the entire offseason of rumors. And they were just trying to get through it. And it almost felt like everybody knew that we are currently in a holding pattern. So everybody just be professional and let's see where this takes us. And as a fan, at the end of the day, if I could describe this whole thing in one phrase, it would be an it is what it is sort of situation. So let's make do with what we have for now. Yeah. And the one thing I will also say, too, is like my opinions are solely based on actually watching. One thing I don't like about media days, it gives the media like a green light to just misquote things and take things out of context. So I, although it's boring and can sometimes be a slog, I actually do like to sit there and watch the whole interview in context. Um, yeah. And I still, and I think you did too, right? So it still felt like very subdued given all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some random stray observations that we had Um before we get into what we thought about Russ and what we thought about Palenka and the front office's response. Uh, For me, let's see. Yeah, so, I mean, dudes were laughing and chuckling. Um, It did feel kind of like standard co-worker Grinnan Barrett sort of fair. Lots of canned responses. Uh, As I mentioned, I did like Pat Bev's overall demeanor. He was dropping the F-bomb left and right with not a care in the world. He really DGAF about anything, which is great. Uh, He really knows himself. The BFF stuff about him and Russ with the actual anecdotes to back that up was pretty interesting. I think That was Russ, pretty interesting. I think Russ will need as much support as he can get actual support, you know, to even just mentally get through this time because it didn't seem like he wanted to be there. And it seems like Pat Bev actually is willing to come to his side and his aid as first a human being and as a friend, which is great. Um, and then the, my favorite highlight from Pat Bev, though, was when they asked him about his favorite all-time LeBron highlight to which he quipped uh my favorite LeBron highlight is the one where I blocked him or something like that so his favorite LeBron highlight is one of his highlights so I think that was a nice jovial mood lightener sort of moment um and there was also you know everybody is gonna focus on for one thing I hate how they continue to they say all this stuff about how this team is all about sacrifice, people are gonna do what yeah. they need to do, and yet they still put the three six oh guys together for the same goddamn picture. And I'm like, okay, but what what message is this sending? You know what I mean? Like Russ Russell Westbrook is asked a question about potentially not even starting, and yet we're gonna put him together with LeBron and A D again in that big three photo. And I know it's because likely that they're the three highest paid players on the team, but it's just, I don't know, the messaging seems off and contradictory, right? And in that moment, everybody picked up on the fact that as they were lining up, Russell Westbrook was awkwardly leaving a pretty apparent gap in between him and LeBron. I mean, if you watch the whole video and stuff, they were laughing and they were joking. So it wasn't, you you can't read too much into that, but I mean, it, it seemed awkward. And I think, Russ's overall demeanor just sort of lent itself to the fact that he wasn't expecting to be here. Uh, Some other last tidbits. uh, Sounds like Kendrick Nunn is all systems go. Good for non-contact, good for contact. So that'll be huge. Uh, Austin Reeves bulked up this offseason and is now up to 210 pounds. Talked about how he feels a difference on the court when he moves. He moves a lot better. He can attack and absorb contact better. And... Yeah, I mean, dude should definitely be in the starter conversation and consideration. And he said himself that he wants to start because no one would have 
predicted that he'd even be in this situation. So even Austin Reeves has that chip on his shoulder thing working for him. Uh, any other um, tidbits and observations that you got from any player in particular? The biggest one for me was Pat Bev. I think, you know, I'm been pretty out. Oh, I like your mug, dude. <laughs> I have been, it's a Hello uh, Kitty mug. It's my goal. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> um, I have been, you know, one of the biggest Pat Bev critics throughout his entire career. I wasn't a huge fan of the trade, not because of the talent swap. I think we actually came out ahead in, in terms of immediate help talent. Um, but I just have never liked him as a player. And sort of listening to him, I, I don't know. I It's not that I'm still going to hold off on like the whole, oh, he's one of the players you hate, but you love to have him on your team thing until like, we actually see him play. I did like the Russ story he told, though, and it was kind of nice because it makes this it makes their like quote unquote relationship not seem so manufactured like so much else mm-hmm. has been manufactured this year you know it feels like that's genuine and he just wanted to like literally explain a misunderstanding while at the same time painting Russ in such a good light for not like ever telling people that this was like a story that happened and you know that's why it was like there was some misunderstanding between you know so it was like yeah and keeping I don't that think personal, it's ever coming you know? yeah I, and I don't think it's ever come into question that Russ is a bad guy off the court right I just right, wanted to add right. that but yeah yes yes and so I like that story that was nice um I liked uh you know, some of the random guys on the team, honestly, like Max Christie, I thought gave like a really good interview for like a 19 year old. I don't know that he's, you know, that's going to lead to what he's not, he's not going to be like giving us a whole lot on the court this year. So, you know, but I thought like you can sort of see his maturity for like a 19 year old, maybe why they projected him um, as a first rounder on their board. Right. And um yeah, just like some of the other, I thought Damian Jones looked pretty good. Like physically, he looks like he looks different than he was when he came here last time. I know like maybe viewing it from like the court level, he looks like the same type of player, but physically he looks different. And when they went, when they were interviewing him and, you know, putting that together with some of the highlights I've been watching of him last season, I'm pretty excited about what he's going to be able to offer the team. Um, Thomas Bryant seems like a good high character guy. Toscano Anderson, I really liked his interview too. That was that one was cool, and it was cool hearing him talking about how he grew up a Kobe fan and all this. Um, and I, you know, there is this sense that we do have more guys this year that are willing to do the small things and are not going to be as happy um, to fall back on this idea that you know we're all stars and this is the greatest assembly of you know talent in NBA history or whatever Rob said last year as the I Avengers think, theme song plays yeah exactly <laughs> exactly in the media room at, at the at the practice facility but I think like the one interesting thing that I will say and I have no idea why this keeps coming up and I will start this off by saying I am like really really rooting for Lonnie Walker to have mm-hmm. a great year I think if you read some stuff about his past you will also be rooting for him to have a great year because he's had like a pretty tough life and tough not in the way that a lot of other players have, you know, experienced Um, just really serious stuff. So if I'm going to be rooting for him, that said, I don't understand why everybody keeps referring to him as like a defensive minded player. He came up like he came up like 10 times in like the context of, you know, we've got all these defenders. We've got Pat Bev. We've got Lonnie Walker, Austin Reese. I'm like, 
Lonnie Walker is like one of the worst rated defensive players <laughs> in the NBA. And he was like as bad, you know, quote unquote bad as like Malik Monk was for us. So he's like, I'm not saying he's like horrific, but he's certainly, we should expect someone below average. And I don't I understand he has the tools. I understand he's supremely athletic. He has a 6'10 wingspan, which is good for his size. Like, He's got all these, like, sort of tools. He's strong. Like, he's got the tools that scream defensive player. But those sorts of statements are what make me a little bit alarmed about this, the future of this team because it just shows, like, such a clear lack of understanding of, like, the analytics and, you know, sort of the reputations of these guys. Like, Lonnie Walker was a first-round pick on a Greg Popovich team. And most of those years, he he was with the Spurs. They were rebuilding, right? So Greg Popovich could not get this guy playing, you know, 25 minutes a game on average to uh, consistently commit to playing defense. And I just have no idea why we think we're going to be able to do that or why we're characterizing him as a defensive player. So, like, those types of things when you hear, to me, like, that makes me a little bit suspect of, you know, Ham can talk about all this, like, we want to – we want to be the grittiest team in the league and we want to be the strongest team and toughest team in the league. We, there's no reason, like, we don't want to be one of the elite defensive teams. Like, we want to be the elite defensive team in the league. And making all these grandiose statements and, like, yeah, they all sound nice in a vacuum, right? But we, Frank Vogel, in two-thirds of his years here, took us to, like, third and first in defensive efficiency. We were an elite defensive team and the personnel decisions last year made us not elite, right? So... Mm-hmm. It's like there's more to it than just saying stuff. And I'm worried they're just like, well, we got like a bunch of salesmen to, you know, one to coach us, several to play for us who are just going to like sell the grit. But like, and ho- and like, we just hope that that masks all of the other issues the roster has from a personnel perspective. Yeah. And look, I don't doubt anything that anybody says, any of these players say about giving their all and trying their hardest. My whole thing is that it doesn't seem like the front office did their best or tried their hardest this offseason. And because of that, these players will have to overextend themselves. Yeah, they're going to have to work hard because they're going to have to guard like guys who are four or five inches taller than them. So I don't doubt that they're going to work hard. You know, they have to in order to even make us a competent team. So it is sort of funny. And and to, to answer your question about why it seems like they feel or think that Lonnie Walker is a wing, to me, I think it's just because they sort of backed themselves into this corner this offseason without a plan to pivot at the very end. And now, like you mentioned, they're trying to spin it. And I don't think it's working because I don't think Lonnie Walker is even at the stage that THT was in for us last season when we were saying the same things about THT is going to play up and we're going to teach him to become a defender. And throughout the season, THT actually picked up some traits, but it wasn't good enough for what we needed, you know? And so how do we expect Lonnie Walker to do that? Anyways, we'll get... Yeah, go ahead. The last thing I was going to say along those lines, right, was one thing we heard last year is like, we got all this shooting, but also we're expecting internal growth you know, in shooting, like THT is a better shooter now. And it's like, no, like you can't fall back on, well, we have these guys, Toscano Anderson, Troy Brown, Jr. Lonnie, um, pretty much everyone we signed as a free agent. The summer has had a mixed pack, mixed past in terms of shooting. And we think we're going to get the best out of them this year. It's like, okay, like, thank you. That doesn't really (laughs) help. Right. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to what we thought about Russell Westbrook. Uh, for me, it felt like he was on autopilot. He said all the right things. And if you just 
saw his quotes in printed version on your Twitter timeline, you'd say, oh, okay, he's, it seems like he's all in, he's, he's ready to buy in, et cetera, et cetera. But if you actually listen to portions of his interviews, at some moments, you know, he's looking to the side at someone else and not even listening to the, the reporter giving the question. And when he had to answer a question about competing for a starting spot, it's like, it's like he just pressed a button and all of these auto-generated responses came flowing out of his mouth. And like you mentioned earlier, not one of them had anything to do about, yeah, if I'm a bench player, I'm okay with that. He just said the very vague, I'm willing to do what it needs to be done. I'm willing to compete. I'm all in. Literally, one after the other, they weren't even sort of cohesive thoughts. Like I mentioned, it just it seemed like he just pressed a button and all of these rote responses came uh, flowing out. Um and I think the overall vibe I got from him, and again, I will admit maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think he knows he's not long for this team, and it seemed like he didn't really want to be there or at the very least didn't expect to be there. And I, I guess I appreciate his professionalism to an extent, but also what else can you do in that situation? My last thought on Russell Westbrook is I just hope he really lives by his words and the off-season convos he's had with Darvin Ham, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, his friendship with Patrick Beverly, I hope those are were all fruitful and substantial. And I hope that his friendship with Patrick Beverly actually translates onto the court because I am always scared about what happens when rubber meets the road and Russell Westbrook isn't getting the minutes that he actually wants. You know, is he going to be saying these same things or is there going to be subtext behind it where he feels victimized again? So what were your thoughts on Russell Westbrook in general today? Uh, sort of similar, right? I, I, again, I we talked about this before um, Media Day even, you know, sort of was on the radar. And we were saying, like, you know, Russ, it is if he comes in and says, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to play defense for the first time in 20 years, and I'm going to... Um, you know, take a bench role if needed. And I'm going to do all these things that we have to do to win. It was my fault last year. Even if he said all those things, it would just be step one and step two is actually acting on it. Right. But he had never gotten to step one. And I still feel like he hasn't gotten to step one. I feel like this was his compromise, right? Like he's not going to come in and throw the organization under the bus again on media day after doing it like three months ago. Yeah. (laughs) Or four months ago. Like he, I guess he's not going to do that again, but what I didn't appreciate was, again, when pressed on specifics, even if it is just about like saving face or making an impression for your teammates or however you want to characterize it, you have to be able to just say certain things for the good of the team and be a leader. And to me, he didn't do any of those things. He just sort of was like, he did answer the high level question, like, do you want to do anything for this team to win? Yes. I think that's the easy one, right? But when pressed on, you know, there's a lot of talent on this team at the point guard position. They have Schroeder, they have none. Um, Reeves can even play some point guard. They have Pat, they went out and got Pat Bev. Um, like, you know, it's not going to be guaranteed for you to start. Is that going to be like a problem? And he just sort of dances around the subject, right? When he's asked about, like, do you feel like you're not wanted? He could say, like, I've had uh, conversations with Rob, you know, and Darvin Ham, and, like, I feel wanted here. Um, whatever happens, and the, maybe they'll change their mind. You know, kind of make, be the bigger person. Mm-hmm. 
But instead Wait, of just can we, it, can we? Yeah, go ahead. Can we land on that? Because I feel like that was the most candid and animated he was all day. And yeah. I think that tells you something because he was kind of letting stuff off his chest that moment because he's like, you know, we've all had coworkers that we don't like. And it's almost like him getting that off his chest, like doing the whole victimization thing again. Like, dude, I'm the one who's hated here. We all know it. You guys have coworkers that, you know, you hate or maybe you're the coworker that people don't like. And he, he was the most animated and engaged there. And I was like, I think that's very telling because that shows you his actual sentiments on this entire situation he knows that he's the scapegoat or he knows that and we'll get into like who thought this was a great idea in the first place and i feel bad for russ being put in this situation but clearly he's not happy with it yeah yeah and to say, again to say like it doesn't matter if they want me here or not like that is such a passive aggressive like comment yes. you know it's like it has nothing to do with basketball like in any context that's a passive aggressive comment so you know, I don't know. It, it just shows sort of a lack of self-awareness. And, and then he expanded on it to be like, you know, there's probably people you work with that you don't want to be there. And it's like really driving home the fact that like, um, you know, he at least has some sort of feeling that they don't want him there. Um, and I think the weird thing about all of this, by the way, right, is that the feeling is probably mutual. I don't think Russ wants to be third fiddle as much as he thought. Um when he came to the team, uh, came to the Lakers, I don't think he wants to take a backseat to two other big time superstars and sort of get all of the criticism and none of the praise, which is sort of like the burden you have to take when you're putting yourself in that position. I don't think it hit him until last year and how horrifically that went. Like, you know, what exactly he wanted out of this, this move to come to LA. And I think he also wants to leave. I just think he's at odds with the front office because they're not willing to spend multiple first round picks just to dump him somewhere. They want to get something for him or just let him expire so that they don't take on long-term salary problems that are going to be even worse or as bad as him. Mm -hmm. And they're just sort of like, you know, we're willing to sit through the headache. And by the way, we have backups. It, it just like the whole thing screams like tension, right? Like yep. clearly Russ's angle is like, I don't want to be here. I want to play Russ's way. And the front office's angle is you're going to play our way. And if you're not, you're going to get benched. And how do we know you're going to get benched? We literally have like two other, like Patrick <laughs> Beverly, who is actually an NBA starting point guard. And we have, you know, Dennis Schroeder, you know, who's been in the league. He's a veteran. He knows Ham's system. And, and on top of all that, we have Kendrick Nunn who can play some point, um, you know, so, uh, it, it's just like this weird tension of like, you know, these two forces clearly butting up against one another. And I just don't know how you can say that that's not going to have an impact on your team. No, it's a combustible situation. And we will see how it goes as the season progresses, starting with the first preseason game next week. All right, let's take it to break. When we return, let's talk about the front office's response and the front office's decision to go this route, including what you just mentioned about compiling all these guards, putting the pressure on Russ, Russ feeling like he's being cornered, backed into a corner, and how we think that'll all play out, as well as close the episode on somewhat of a positive note and see how, see what we think the best version of this Lakers team could end up looking like with Russ on it. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. 
Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. All right, so we're back. Uh, Tommy, do you have any thoughts on 6'7 Matt Ryan, who averaged 20 points on 40% from three-point land, hitting four a game in the G League across two different teams last year? Uh, During the pandemic, he apparently worked at his grandfather's graveyard uh, waiting for a call-up, and once he finally got it with the Celtics, he cried. Um, I will say that after watching, there's this video of Matt Ryan called The Offseason that kind of profiles uh, his time during the pandemic and how he really was fighting for an NBA spot, was playing for Team USA during those, you know, divisional games or whatever during the offseasons and summers. Um, But overall, I mean, I like the guy's attitude. He has been invited to training camp for the Lakers, has a really nice, smooth stroke, and he legitimately looks like he's 6'7", Cole Swider-esque. He did not have great shooting percentages in college. I think his best year was like 35% from three, 15 points his last season. But I think he showed enough in the G League last year. But overall, you just look at the mechanics of his jump shot, him being able to curl off screens, hit three-point shots off the dribble, and I could see something there. And I honestly would not be surprised if he took one of the two-way spots, but especially because Boston had him on a two-way, I think, their entire season last year. So there's definitely something there. But any thoughts on Matt Ryan, a uh, quarterback for the Indianapolis? Wait, who, 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 he's on the, the Colts team? now. On oh, the Colts, yeah. okay. Yeah. He, he, career Falcons, but he's just started on the Colts this year. Right, right. Um, yeah, I like this NBA Matt Ryan. <laughs> I like him as a prospect. I like his story a lot. I actually watched that video you sent mm-hmm. me about his. It's, it's a, it is a really cool story. I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see, right? I, I don't know if he's good enough to, like, be a NBA player ultimately. I guess, you know, we ha- we'll have to see what is going on with his defense. But he can certainly shoot it, and he's got the right work ethic. I think it's a solid camp invite, particularly, you know, having good shooters around. This is, like, something that's sort of underrated in the NBA. But, like, having good shooters around, like, elevates everybody's shooting. Like, it was sort of the principle you saw under a lot of these Mike D'Antoni teams over the years. Like, teams, like, players would just get there, and they'd be around all this other good three-point shooting with a coach who was, like, highly encouraging them to shoot threes, and their percentages would all, like, rise. Um, Same, similar idea, I feel like, with the the, uh, Golden State Warriors. But... Having a guy like that around during training camp, I guess, doesn't ha- uh, doesn't hurt. I don't know that he'll make the team. I mean, frankly, he is what we're sort of hoping Cole Swider is going to be. Um, and I, hopefully Cole Swider's better and he has a little more size than Matt Ryan. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I like the story. I You know, these are the types of training camp invites I can get behind for sure. And he certainly has that grit mentality that, like, Darvin Ham and these other front office people are preaching. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, now, with regards to Dwayne Bacon, I really don't get that signing. He reminds me of a taller Mason Jones who can't shoot as well as Mason Jones. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Um, let's talk about what you thought about the front office's response, not only in media day, but just obviously where we stand now with Russell Westbrook on this team. And we already started talking about how it's such an awkward, combustible situation that they've placed everybody in. Not only Russell Westbrook, not only themselves, but all the other guards on the team as well who know that they've been trying to trade this dude and it's there's going to reach a point in the season where Dennis Schroeder or Kendrick Nunn or Patrick Beverly is going to be like, why am I only playing 15 minutes? Or add Lonnie Walker to this list as well. Why am I only playing 15 minutes and this dude that you've been trying to trade all offseason is still getting 25 to 32? You know, uh, it's just, it it's a recipe for disaster, potentially. Now, with regards to what Palenka said, uh, it kind of went in one ear and out the other for me, if not me just chuckling at some of the stuff he was trying to spin. Um, he emphasized having multiple guards that can do multiple things, dimensionalizing our backcourt. Like, that's such <laughs> a, a Rob Palenka word, dimensionalizing. I'm He's like, dimensionalizing. What is this multiverse of madness, Doctor Palinka? Like, you know what else? You know what else? Multiple guards who can do the same multiple things does it creates a logjam and slowly breeds contempt amongst all those guards. Like, right. what, what dimensionalizing are we talking about here? This is like every step along the way, he's tried to do this every year, and we've come to the same conclusion that we do not need all of these small guards. And then he talked about how this isn't a surprise to anybody. He said. Pat Bev is a 3 and D wing player. Okay. Um, when asked a question about the front court and how, you know, Palinka was going to address that, Palinka proceeded to talk about Pat Bev and Dennis Schroeder's tenacity on defense. Cool. Um, the most in- interesting part, though, to me was hearing his response on, you know, potentially making trades down the road. And he mentioned that he'd trade picks for LeBron James, but the when and who must be taken into account since they only have quote unquote one shot. Uh, Tommy, what are your thoughts on what Palenka said today? For me, that last statement kind of irked me the most just because it's like only hammers home the point of what a, what an uncreative GM he is and how, for whatever reason, the front office self-imposes these very rigid restrictions on themselves. Like, why does it have to be only one shot, you know? Because you know you can trade one of those picks separately, right? You know you can not trade any of those picks but take back longer-term salary, right? You just don't want to do those things. You know that you can trade both of those picks for non-superstars but better-fitting starter-level slash all-star talent. Right. You just don't want to do those things. So it goes back to what we've been saying over and over again. And the last thing I want to say before you go is, look, I know we've been very negative and pessimistic. I for me, I think this season I like to separate out the team and the players and the front office, because, look, at the end of the day, even Russell Westbrook included. These are the guys. We'll find a way to make it work. We will cheer these dudes on. I know LeBron and A.D. and Pat Bev and even Russell Westbrook will give it their all. I know a lot of these dudes have something to prove, and I want to see them, you know, prove the naysayers wrong. So I don't doubt all these players will try to be the best versions of themselves and leave it out all on the court to the best of their their ability. 
my biggest gripe though is I'm disappointed that the front office didn't hold up their end of the bargain this offseason in that respect because they did not give it their all. They did not leave it all out on the court, so to say. And this was far from their best offseason. They sort of bunted and punted when they should have had, you know, this offseason was the most sort of like air clearing time that they had to really put things in place. And yet we're still here in this holding pattern on media day and we're going into the season now with things still up in the air. So your thoughts on Rob's comments and anything else you want to say about the front office and the situation they've placed everybody in. Yeah, the dimensionalizing thing. I put this in the same bucket as like the mana from heaven and you yes. know the vertical spacing. Like basically this guy like he he's not like a dumb guy, right? I mean, this dude as we've talked about before, he's very smart, went to like a very elite law school, graduated like, you know, my understanding towards the top of his class, which is not easy to do at any law school, any certain certainly any top-tier law school. And so he's not a dumb guy, but it's like so transparent. Like he's more of a salesman than he is like a general manager, right? Like mm-hmm. he knows that we haven't addressed the issues with like our shooting and like our backcourt size and our wing size. And so like, how does he spin that? Oh, it we've dimensionalized our backcourt. Like what, like hoping that like everybody is so much stupider than him that they won't realize how much of an empty statement that is. It was like the same thing when we put together the team that ultimately won the championship. But like he talked about how like, yeah, it's not just like lateral spacing there's also vertical spacing that's like important <laughs> you know what i mean and like because we have these like centers who could jump and dunk so it that aspect of it sort of seems nonsense i mean the the, the pick thing is also kind of frustrating i don't have much to add because i think you covered the issues there pretty well i just think that if we're constantly going to be held you know i've said this in in other contexts but the easiest job in professional sports is being the general manager of like a rebuilding team. And the reason is you're like, look at Danny Ainge, right? He was Mr. Almost trade, like the king of almost Mm -hmm. trades in Boston. And now he goes to Utah and after one year, his job is sell the team. Okay. And he can, so getting un you know, unknown indefinite draft picks for Don, for super, for uh, NBA all-star level talent. That's easy. It's a similar principle here. Pointing to 27, 2027 and 2029 and being like, well, who knows what we're going to get is like the easy move here, right? It just sort of kicks the can down the road. And to your point, it's not just like trade them all for, you know, Mike Conley. That's not what like Laker fans are advocating for. But who makes the judgment call on whether something elevates us from non-contender to contender? Because he's been in charge of making those judgment calls and he hasn't seemingly hasn't done a good job. I mean, if you look at that Indiana Pacers package, right, you were getting two, to your point, two NBA starter caliber players, one of whom is one of the best three point shooters in the NBA, which is a huge need on your team. And one of whom is, you know, an elite defensive big man on your team who can contain the uh, interior and the perimeter. And by all, you know, accounts would be extremely synergistic with Anthony Davis, um, you know, by all metrics, I should say. So does that not elevate you into contender status? Or are you just waiting to trade the whole farm for, you know, James Harden when things don't work out in Philly or, you know, Damian Lillard when things don't work out in in uh, Portland and then just sort of redo all of this again? And and so but, it, but it also, just feels, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but also, Tommy, like, 
even if you, let's say, you make that trade for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, why does Rob Palinka think that that's it? We can't make any more moves after that. Like, you can't swing a Buddy Heald or a Miles Turner midway through the season? And if anything, it gives you, it should give you more flexibility, even though I know an expiring contract like Miles Turner is hard to trade. But he makes it seem like with that one shot comment that, like, it's over and done with. And so we have to be so judicious and make sure that it's the perfect move he's hiding behind that excuse of perfection yeah and the what happens in those situations right is you wait for two years you haven't made a move and now lebron's leaving (laughs) and and you never you never took a shot it's like there again he he like views it he he keeps characterizing it as well you know we only got one shot we only got one shot you know what you also only have you also only have lebron guaranteed for two more years so there's your one shot yeah yeah you know what i mean (laughs) so it's like this you had one shot this offseason in which you whiffed on and now you really have one shot next offseason when this season inevitably does not result in the championship right and i'm not going to go so far as the greg popovich comment that was floating around <laughs> this morning but likely this team will i would not personally go to vegas and put money on this team to win a championship this year yes. so you know it, you know now you're really putting pressure on those two picks to get you something next year which by the way what are you trading those two picks with next year because all of your players are going to be free agents you know so you're not trading lebron you're not trading ad unless you're trying to absorb a player into your cap space i'm not really sure what you can do during the season with those picks and then the or excuse me during the summer with those picks and then the following season LeBron might leave, you know, the next summer. Yeah. So it, it's just like, it, it It just feels like, like I said, it's the easiest job in professional sports is to kick the can and talk about the future. And that's like what Rob is sort of leaning on now. Did you hear how he invoked the name of Kobe Bryant once again, as he usually does, and said, I, as one, one man once said, yeah. the job's not done. Job's I know. not finished. He shouldn't <laughs> be allowed to quote Kobe. I know they were close, dude, but Kobe would be like rolling over in his grave right now. It's looking manipulative. At <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so manipulative. And, it, and I cringed when he said that, honestly. But it's it, see, this is the thing, though. He can continue to kick the can down the road because the job really isn't finished, right? Because he still has till the trade deadline this season yeah. to do yeah. something. And it's like, yeah, but you just wasted a whole off season when things could have you could have had all your affairs in order, and that provides value in and of itself. Doing that, you know. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't a fan of anything Rob said. It was all to be expected. And if anything, just made me continue to chuckle. And to close this section out on the front office, I, I personally just can't believe that Rob Palenka is staking the, the latter end of his GM career to Russell Westbrook, um, especially given everything he saw from last season and given the fact that he supposedly didn't even want to trade for Russ in the first place. But yet now he's doing it anyway and banking on like, the best Dwight Howard redemption story for a Russell Westbrook still making $47 million next season. I honestly don't think Magic Johnson would have even done this, but you know, hey, hey anything is possible. It might work. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say on the front office. Um, do you have anything else to say on the situation that everybody's put in and whether you think this is going to work? I think, so I do want to make that distinction because I think a lot of people, obviously, in the best case scenario where we have to deal with Russell Westbrook, obviously you want to see him turn over a new leaf and find that Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony redemption. But the situation is still different because as I just mentioned, those two other players, Dwight Howard and Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard and Carmelo Anthony were literally out of the league, right? And they had to come back. 
Russell Westbrook is still currently making $47 million. And until he's actually been cut, which is what should have happened in any Lakers trade with another team who would have bought him out, and he realizes, oh, I really am not wanted unless I totally changed my entire perspective on things. Until that happens, you're still going to see, and understandably so for a player and person like Russell Westbrook, that internal tension continue to wrestle with each other. He's going to continue to wrestle with this all throughout the season, you know? Because even when he says he's all in and all that stuff, his justification for being all in was, I didn't do I didn't play as well as I could have last season. And you know what that means for Russell Westbrook, right? That means I didn't put up triple doubles, I didn't put up the requisite amount of stats that people expect out of me. And for Lakers fans, it's like, "No, dude, you still don't get it. I could care less. I could care less if you're only averaging 10 points and 4 assists." If it means that you're just doing the little things, you're more hyper-aware on defense, and you're not making a stink about coming off the bench if they need you to come off the bench. You're hitting more of your, you're taking more baseline three-point jump shots. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for you to have better stats than last year, because if you just look at it on paper, 18, 7, and 7, or whatever he averaged, those are great stats. That wasn't the issue. So anything else to add on that point? Yeah. Uh... (laughs) I I don't have anything else to add other than I don't know that I think everybody is so like way like every year you come into training camp and there are some assumptions that get made and everyone is projecting the best case scenario on media day. I don't recall the last media day where I felt this, you know, sort of pessimistic about the direction of the team. And a big part of it is not that not even necessarily that Russ is on the team. It's just that. I feel pessimistic that he will ever like understand the point that all these people are trying to drive home to him. Um, And I think that caps like the potential upside of this team in general. I agree. So to close this episode, let's talk about that best case scenario with Russell Westbrook. If he does buy in, what does it look like to you schematically? I feel like we're just going to end up reiterating what people already know, but let's just go through the motions of it like Lakers Media Day today because we actually haven't done this, right? We've put it in the back burner of our minds. We never thought it would come to this point. We we never thought it would come to this point, but goddamn Rob Palenka, here we are. So, okay, let's see. Um, So... My, in my opinion, I think this is not anything revolutionary. We should let Russ be Russ off the bench. Don't try and turn him into Bruce Brown, although that would be welcome if he develops some of those tendencies to do the little things. Um, so you want him to continue to play better defense and shoot more threes from the corner and be a better off-ball cutter like Bruce Brown. But you also don't want to take away the best parts of Russell Westbrook, which is his creation ability and his ability to put pressure on the rim. So you allow him to still be Russ to an extent off the bench. Let him roll with a Washington Wizards-like lineup that he's used to playing with, including his former Washington Wizards teammates in Troy Brown Jr. and Thomas Bryant. He actually has chemistry with those guys, right? He even has some chemistry with Dennis Schroeder during their OKC days. So in my opinion, like the best case version of of Russell Westbrook has him playing in a fast transition lineup with some athletic young dudes and big men who can pick and pop and pick and roll like Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones, although probably more preferably Thomas Bryant because of the spacing he provides. But let him cook for a few minutes and lead the lead the guys off the bench, play him next to Alani Walker, Troy Brown Jr., JTA, Thomas Bryant, dudes who also have the versatility to cover for him defensively. Because 
at the end of the day, Russ is still a great transition accelerator. He's a great rebounder for a guard who can grab it and go, and that's something that this team will need. Since we have improved defensively everywhere else, Russell Westbrook can clean up the boards, you know? Um, And my last point on what the best-case scenario of Russell Westbrook looks like on this team is He's sloppy with it, and it's always a, an adventure and a roller coaster, but he still does have really elite vision. And he can get AD the ball where he likes it in quirky little ways that AD will need from, you know, AD had that synergy with Rondo. I don't think anybody can ever sync up with AD the way Rondo could, but the next best guy outside of LeBron James would be Russell Westbrook because he does throw these quirky lobs and shovel passes shovel passes and flashy, you know, flashy wraparounds in the paint and all that stuff. And Russ is the only one who can probably do that because he does have that verve in the paint. Um, So I think Russ can still be that guy in limited minutes, not only for a guy like Anthony Davis, but also for big man like Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant, who he has, you know, continually across his NBA tenure, elevated the play of these sorts of bigs who aren't necessarily all-stars, but they can just grab the ball from him, and finish. So what is the best-case scenario of Russell Westbrook schematically look like to you? The best-case scenario for me is if Russ fully buys in to being a bench player. Um, For, you know, sort of similar reasons that you gave, I think, like, our bench unit, you know, if again, if, if Russ buys in of, you know, Russ, Kendrick Nunn at the two, who can give him, like, a little bit more of an off ball, uh, guard who can shoot, um, you know, Troy Brown Jr. If he's healthy or Reeves at the three, uh, Juan Toscano at the four, Damian Jones, Thomas Bryant at the five, like you surround Russ with at least four guys who are somewhat of a threat uh, to be a shooter. Um, pretty athletic guys in the case of Juan Toscano, Damian Jones, and, um, you know, even, uh, Troy Brown, So, and Lonnie Walker, if he gets minutes with him. So it's like, you know, there are some units you could see potentially working offensively. But I think Russ might actually, and again, who knows if these guys, again, put their money where their mouth is. But Russ, the thing that's going to get him totally frozen out of the lineup is if he just doesn't play any defense. Like, last season he was rated not below average. He was like one of the worst, you know, point guard defenders in the entire NBA. And he's been pretty bad for like many years now. I don't know why everyone is so optimistic that this could change, um, but that's going to have to change. If that doesn't change and you strip Russ out of the out of the rotation completely, suddenly you have like a five guard rotation that makes a little bit more sense. Like you have Kendrick Nunn who can shoot, you have Dennis Schroeder who can create a bit, um, you have Patrick Beverly who could defend, Austin Reeves can defend and really do a little bit of everything. And then you have Lonnie Walker as like your athletic ups, upside sort of swing guy. And there's your five guard rotation. Mm-hmm. That's actually not horrific. You know what I mean? Particularly, particularly on a team with LeBron and AD where really, if those guys are healthy and playing, all you need, as we saw a couple years ago, is a bunch of guys who can defend and hustle. Um, the problem is if Russ does not, is not willing to slot into those spots and actually, you know, play defense. It doesn't matter offensively, right? And that's why, you know, to some of your earlier points, like, we don't know, is Russ really going to understand why 
fans and coaching staffs and et cetera have had problems with him over the past few seasons and you know, in particularly last season. It's not just the stats. 18, like you said, 18, 7, and 7 are not bad stats in a vacuum. It's just everything else that comes along with that is has been the problem with him. And I don't care if this guy's putting up 10, 4, and 4, you know, if he's if he's only taking high efficiency shots and competing defensively. I'm not saying you have to be all NBA first team defense, but like make yourself an average defender. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So those are the types of things that could really skyrocket his upside because if he makes himself an average defender, that's going to lead to more minutes and more minutes is going to lead to higher productivity. You know, I do think that Darvin Ham's, you know, we're going to see a little bit more focus, I think on offense than we have had the last three years with Vogel. I mean, Darvin Ham himself is a very defensive minded coach, but we never had a guy like Chris Gent, right. Who's going to be like the first, in command head coach, uh, you know, who's known for being a shooting, his two biggest things he's known for being are like offensive minded uh, assistant coach and a big time shooting coach. We've never, we haven't had that the last three years. We have that now. I think that's going to have a positive impact on everybody, but like Russ is going to have to play defense. And if he doesn't, his upside, you know, for impact on this team is, is pretty capped. Yeah, I agree with you. And to add a little bit, some additional positivity to how this roster looks like, even though I, you know, I did take some time to start trying to divvy up the minutes at the guard positions. And I'm like, this, this doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm like Pat Bev, 22 minutes, Schroeder, 11 minutes at the point guard spot, Reeves, 22 minutes, none 15. Like it just, someone's going to get phased out. You know what I mean? Someone's going to be unhappy. It just, Whatever. It, it just doesn't make sense even if you play some guys at the small forward position. Anyways, the uh, one other thing I wanted to add before we close is there is this trend going on in the league where if you do have a formidable front court, small forward, power forward, center, you can get away with playing smaller guards at the one and the two. And if you look at what the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing, granted we haven't seen it fully play out yet, but Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell... And obviously they are all-star players, so it's a bad, it's not apples to apples. But Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland are both like 6'2", but because they have a front court of Kevin Love, uh, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley, I think they can make that work. And I think that's what the Lakers are trying to sort of do, because even though their guards won't be all-star level guards, they should be able to play up better defensively than Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. So if you have a Patrick Beverly and a Kendrick Nunn or a Patrick Beverly and Austin Reeves, as long as you're flanked by LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Damian Jones slash Thomas Bryant, I think you can actually hold up. So I don't have any issues there, and I actually think it could work. My whole issue, again, with this roster construction is that's relying on LeBron James to forever be your wing, main wing defender, right? And I know JTA is there and Troy Brown Jr. is there, but you would have wanted a little bit more buffer throughout an 82-game regular season to continue to uphold that, you know, strong front court at the top with LeBron, uh, AD, Thomas Bryant slash Damian Jones. But I do think it could work health provided. So um, anything else to add? Or? Nothing else for me. All right, so with that said, that'll do it for our Lakers 2022 Media Day coverage. And yeah, the next time we will pod, next time we'll pod will likely be after the Lakers' first preseason game, which is insane. What is their first game? 
game one. It's next it on Tuesday, but I forget who they play. October 3 against the Kings. Oh, next so, Monday, actually. I forgot. Yeah. Malik Monk revenge. Here we go. <laughs> Malik Monk Buckle revenge up. game. <laughs> um, Damian Jones revenge game. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. Um, uh, but, yeah. With that said, thank you guys for listening. Please uh, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us five stars on the Apple Podcast app and mainly the Spotify app since I know not a lot of you have uh, gone over to that page and hit that five-star button. So we would really appreciate it if you could do that. And yeah, with that said, Tommy, are you all in? I'm all in. We're all in, baby. That's tough. Let's go. Chip on our shoulders, yada, yada. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya. It's Chip. It's Chip. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.